Welcome back to Winged and Ready. I am thrilled to have a colleague with me today, Brad Dillon. He is a senior strategist in our wealth planning group. And we're gonna give you a couple of tools that you can use going into year end around planning. It may sound boring or a little technical, but we're gonna liven it up for you, especially when you see all the benefits that you and your family and or your business can reap the rewards from. So Brad, thank you so much for joining me today. You wouldn't mind taking a minute and letting our listening audience know about you. Yeah, well, thank you, Diane, for having me uh, on, the, on the podcast today. I'm excited to be here. Uh, again, my name is Brad Dillon. I sit in the advanced planning group at UBS, which is a group of you know, formerly practicing trust and estate attorneys, of which I am one. I spent several years in private practice after getting my JD, and I got an LLM or a Master's of Tax Law from NYU. Um, and I, I, went, I worked at a couple of big law firms here in the city, Proskauer and Milbank. I'm also an adjunct professor at Fordham Law School where I teach trust in states and I sit oh, on the editorial board of a state plan magazine where I you know, write a quarterly column on sort of recent updates uh, as it pertains to any trust in state planning. So the so trust in states are really my wheelhouse, although our group does provide a year-end planning guide to kind of hit on the points that we think the clients should just be thinking about uh, before, year, before the year ends. That's incredible, and it sounds like you never have a dull moment, and you're a very busy individual, so I appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Um, so we know you're an expert in, in trust and estate, and you're a New Yorker. You went to NYU. You teach at Fordham. What are some of the questions that you're starting to hear from clients or other professionals that you talk to? Yeah, as it, I mean, it pertain, as it pertains to year-end, a lot of people are trying to sort of do the button-up stuff, right? They're trying to get everything in order that they, should, they have to do before year-end. What does that mean? Well, some of the things mean you know, making, for example, annual exclusion gifts, those gifts that you can make $16,000 per year to any individual, or if you're married, you can make up to $32,000 a year to any individual without eating up into your lifetime exemption, the amount you can give away gift tax-free during your life. Um, and so people are trying to make those before year end because December 31st is the last day you can make it for the year uh, 2022. And so uh, those tend to add up quite a bit, actually. If you, you make you know, significant sort of annual exclusion gifts to multiple individuals mm-hmm. over a period of many, many years, uh, all those gifts added up and all of the subsequent appreciation they would have had if they had been in your estate, which would have made your estate tax problem worse, really tend to add up over time. So many of our clients, uh, I would say most of our clients, really try to utilize uh, these annual exclusion gifts uh, and, and get that buttoned up before yeah. year end. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things, of course, is that uh, people are thinking about, well, planning in general in terms of just estate and gift tax planning. We have this very large exemption amount right now of, of just over $12 million per person. That's the amount you can give away during your life. It's a cumulative amount you can give away during your lifetime. If you don't use it at life, uh, you get it as a credit against your estate tax liability. So to use it, if you don't use it now, you get it at death. However, we have this sort of impending cliff coming up, right? Mm-hmm. And, and at the end of 2025, when that amount is going to be cut approximately in half, but depending on inflation, because it goes up with inflation each year, uh, it's probably going to be between six and a half, seven million dollars, and maybe even a little above that amount in 2026. So making use of that exemption, at least in my world, the motto is planning 
sooner rather than later. Gifting assets off the balance sheet sooner rather than later is almost always key. And particularly in 2022, when the market has you know been a little volatile a and, little. and sometimes quite down, um, it's actually a great time to do planning because you want the, the value of the assets. The IRS is going to say, hey, what was the value of the assets you gave either to your family or trust that benefit those family members? Uh, on the date that you made those gifts, what was the value? And so you want the value to be lower. Mm-hmm. So you use up less of that exemption amount, that amount you can give away for free uh, without being subject to any tax at all. And so the value being low is actually quite a really good thing to, to have uh, for estate planning purposes. And, and then if we think those values are going to appreciate more over time, which of course we do, um, you know, the market history shows that, but over time the, the, these things are going to rise. You want those things to accrete, accrete in value, not in your own name, but outside of your name, maybe right. in somebody else's name, a child or a trust for the benefit of your children or, or grandchildren or whatnot, and, and, or maybe a trust that will never be subject to the estate tax. And so gifting those shares now while the value is low, a lot of people are trying to take advantage of that, get that planning done. And we do have this sort of cliff hanging over our head just a few years down the line at the end of 2025, which is a nice impetus for people to to do some of that planning. Yeah, I have a couple of questions for you. Some of them are, I think, pretty quick ones, but you had talked about the annual gifting amount, the 16,000 for an individual. That doesn't have to go to a direct family member, does it? No, it can go, you know, it could go to me. <laughs> if you want to send your, <laughs> your gifts to me or to you. It doesn't have to be a family member. It could be to anyone other than a spouse, really, or an entity. A spouse, you know, they're free gifts between spouses. There are no taxes, uh, income tax, or gifts or estate tax consequences for transfers between spouses. So you'd make them to anyone other than a spouse and, and not an entity either. So not a charity, not a corporation or LLC or something like that. So really, you're making these gifts to individuals. And you can make them to trust for their benefit. So that is an entity that you can make them to. Certain kinds of trust with certain kinds of powers called crummy powers that you can make those gifts to. Um, but that's a great question. No, it, it can be to anybody, not just children. So you could really help some people out who may not be direct relatives with uh, living costs, educational costs. Um, you know, the list I'm sure goes on and on and on. And yeah, absolutely. the point that you said outside of some trust, but not to an entity, that brings me to some of my other questions um, around the lifetime exclusion. That's where you do give to entities, correct? Or you can give to entities. Yeah, you can, well, you can give to trusts or you could even, you know, fund an LLC or something like that. And it would be a gift to the other members of that entity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, certainly, and you could do the or same thing with those annual exclusion gifts as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the charity, you know, any gifts to charity are not going to utilize the annual exclusion gift mm-hmm. or the lifetime gift amount. Those you receive a 100% dollar for dollar deduction against any estate or gift tax liability or income, not income tax liability, gift or estate tax liability. So for uh, you know, estate and gift tax purposes, you don't utilize that exemption at all because you get that full deduction for charitable gifts. Okay. So if somebody wanted to reduce their tax burden and they had a couple of different channels to utilize, what are some of the basic 101 questions that they would need to contemplate and what type of professionals should they talk to? Well, when they want to make sort of uh, deducting, you mean making um, charitable contributions, for example, to uh, reduce their income tax liability? Sure. That's one of the things I was thinking about. Yeah, that's that's one thing. Yeah. So that's a a great strategy and and something that people often focus on in year end, right? They're thinking about 
because there are deductibility limitations based on your adjusted gross income, uh, many people will wait you know, towards the end of the year and go to their accountant and say, you know, what will be my projected uh, adjusted gross income for the year? And then you can make contributions based on that amount, right? So, for example, if you give cash to a donor-advised fund, you can deduct up to 60% of your adjusted gross income. If you give appreciated securities to the donor-advised fund, which can be very tax-efficient, you can deduct up to 30%. These values go down if you make a contribution to a private foundation, so gifts of cash to a private foundation are able to deduct up to 30% of your AGI, and appreciated securities are uh, get up to 20%. So these amounts really matter because you've got to know in the year in which you make the contribution if you're going to exceed those amounts. You can carry those amounts forward for uh, five years, but oftentimes people want to pair those contributions with their mm-hmm. adjusted gross income and, and those amounts. And so they wait often until the end of the year to do that. And, of course, you can make direct gifts to charity as well. So, you know, gifts of cash get the 60%. Gifts of appreciated security gets a 30% limitation. So you don't have to make them to necessarily an entity like that. And I uh, love that. I love the donor advised fund tool. Uh, listeners, you may hear people just call it a DAF. It is yep. something, to your point, up to 60% of AGI, which would be pretty big, but or for a lot of people, be pretty big. But it, even if you want to do a smaller donor advised fund, there are some providers out there that have very reasonable limits to open up a donor advised fund. You know, we're talking for low five figures. Oh yeah. And it's, it's an interesting tool. And, and one thing that I, I like to tell people who may not have a legacy or they could be a younger millennial couple just starting out in the world, you know, if they live in the city or a place where there are a lot of galas, it can, it could be an interesting, marketing tool as well, because then you've set your budget aside for charitable contributions for the year and, and you know where you're going to be using that spend and you can name the donor advised fund, whatever you would like it to be. It could be the Brad Dillon Foundation. It doesn't have to be a foundation to be named a foundation. So sometimes it can be a nice little vanity project to have as well. Yeah, no, I love donor advice funds. I, you know, they not only get the higher deductibility limitations, so they're, you know, can be more tax efficient. But you know, as you've pointed out, I mean that you don't have to figure out where if you say I want the deduction, but I don't know exactly what charities I want to support yet. Well, you park it in this fund. The assets grow income tax free, and maybe it's five years from now when you decide, oh hey, I'm really interested in helping the homeless or helping youth or helping this or that cause. At that point, you could say, all right, I have this fund with you know some cash in it or, or whatever it may be. I could sell the securities again without any income tax liability if they hold securities. And then I can fund those projects at that point. But the cool thing is that you get that deduction right at the outset when you contribute to the fund, even though it's not necessarily being distributed to a, a 501c3 or a public charity at that point just yet. Yeah, so smart. That is a great tool. Yeah. I, hope, I hope if anybody has questions, they'll take advantage of reaching out to both of us because we clearly are passionate about it and would love to talk about it. Oh, yeah. And they're, they're very popular. And there has been some, you know, sort of hubbub and... Congress over the last year or two of whether or not they're going to create some additional restrictions and limitations on donor advised funds. But so far, those bills have not really gone anywhere. And even even the bills that have been proposed, the you know, they circumscribe some of the benefits, but very minimally in my mind. They, they start to require you to distribute some of the assets 
um, you know, on a yearly basis, and they can distribute, you know, require you to distribute all of the assets by certain, you know, many, many years time. But those have not passed, and it's not clear that, you know, especially now with a divided Congress, uh, whether anything will pass like that uh, in the coming years. So I, I think there's still very great strategies and come with, you know, essentially no risk, which is really nice. And I would love to touch on, um, go back to the lifetime exemption and flesh out too a little bit further about shifting any future appreciation out of your estate and how that can pertain. Both of these things can be important for especially business owners and serial entrepreneurs, if you wouldn't mind. Can we circle back to that topic? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, the way I think of it is the IRS is going to come along at your death. And they're going to tally up everything that you own, your investment accounts, your homes, your cars, your jewelry, you, you know, anything, your safe deposit box, your art on the wall. They're going to take the sum total of the value of all of those things. And I sort of call that the pie of your wealth. And I'm making a circle with my hands right now that you can't see, but see the pie of your wealth. <laughs> and then the federal government, the IRS, takes a 40% slice of that pie. If you're in New York, the state here takes another bit of it and all tallied all up, it's about 50% all in. And, and there's certain other states in the country, 12 or so, that have a state-level estate tax like New York. Um, and so the idea, the goal, really, in estate planning is to shrink that pie, the, the pie of your wealth, the total value of all your assets, shrink it by the time of your death so that the IRS's slice of it is smaller. You can't see my hands, but I'm making the circle smaller and smaller by the time of your death, and then the IRS's little cut of it is smaller as well. That's really the name of the game in state planning is how can we effectively shrink your pie? And the number one way to do that, the number one tool in my toolbox as an estate planner really is to utilize the exemption, this amount that you can give away during your life without ever being subject to any tax at all. And that amount happens to be at an all-time historic high right now. It's going up next year with inflation even more. But like I mentioned at the outset, it's being cut in half uh, at the end of 2025. And so we have this limited time period where we have this very inflated exemption amount, which is great because it enables us to immediately shrink the pie by gifting those assets off the balance sheet, call it 12 million per person right now, soon to be almost 13 million next year, or for a married couple, it's double. So almost you know, more than $24 million this year. So shrinking that pie, but the bigger piece of it is that once you get those assets off your balance sheet and for example, into a trust that benefits your family, well, those assets are going to continue to grow over time. You shift $24 million out today and you live another 30 years, that $24 million is going to be worth a lot more. Mm. If it had stayed in your name, your pie would have just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over time. And I'm making the circle with my hands really big right now. Um, over time, and the iris of slice would be bigger and bigger and bigger over time too. So what you've done is you've immediately shrunk the pie by using the exemption, gifting assets off your balance sheet. And then all the subsequent future appreciation of those assets is also outside of your taxable estate. And if you're in certain well-designed trusts, they'll be outside of the taxable estates of your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and so on and so forth. So it's a really incredible time to be leveraging the exemption. And like I said, you can very much leverage it given the asset values are a little bit lower than where they may have been a year ago or two years ago or five years ago sometimes. And so now is a great time to do it. And business owners have it even better. The reason that, you know, if you if you, you're not only able to take some of the interest in your business and transfer them to a trust that benefits 
your family, use the exemption to do that, get the shares out or the interest out into a trust that benefits family, let them appreciate in that you know estate tax-free vehicle. But the, they get to leverage the exemption even more. Mm. When you have a privately held business, you get you know, when you go and transfer it to a trust, for example, to your family member, the IRS is going to say, well, what was the value on the date you made that gift? And well, it's a privately held company, it's not publicly traded, so we can't go and just assign a random value to it or go even figure out the value. We have to go get it appraised by a qualified appraiser who's going to say, this isn't a very marketable asset. It's a privately held entity. It's usually a minority interest, so less than a 50% controlling interest. So it's going to be hard to find a buyer on some market to purchase this interest. And so they assign discounts to the value for lack of marketability, lack of control, and those discounts can often be in the ranges of 25 to 40%. So what that means is maybe you're transferring for every dollar of assets into the trust or to your family members. You may be only eating up into 60 to 75 cents of your exemption uh, for every dollar you get to transfer. So it's a really incredible way to leverage the exemption. I think I've talked too much about this, but you can see I'm, I'm passionate, passionate about this particular aspect. Yeah, well, it's so. so important. It's one thing, and I think as well, business owners and serial entrepreneurs, and rightfully so, you know, whether they've built a business or they are continuing a multi-generational business, you're so focused on the day-to-day. -day. You really just don't have yeah. the time to figure all of this out, and it becomes one of those things that you think, oh, when I have the time, I'll get to it. Or, oh, when I'm retired, I'll think about it. Or, oh, cash is king and I don't want to do anything. But what mm -hmm. you're actually doing is damaging your, your future generation's wealth. And those families that have set up multi-generational businesses and multi-generational wealth, a lot of them have done so through very smart planning and education of the entire family and communication across the entire family yep. so that they can all get on yep. the same page. Yeah, and you know, it is. I have the challenging job sometimes because I'm working at the intersection of tax and death, and so getting clients to focus on that intersection sometimes is very challenging, particularly when they're running a business and they're spending, you know, they're putting everything they can back into that business. But just taking the, you know, like you were sort of saying, is just even just waiting out a few months, which could turn into a few years. Well, what happens hopefully to the value of your business over the time is it keeps increasing. And so what's that mean? Your pie of wealth keeps getting bigger and bigger, which means your IRS advice that you're giving them keeps getting bigger and bigger. And so that's why planning earlier, even at this time when it can seem really challenging to focus on something like that, um, it, it can really be a nice way to really get your sort of house in order and also be communicating with your spouse and your maybe children about you know, what this means, how this wealth might be transferred, what are your values in transferring this wealth, and what, what's the story you want to tell around the wealth, yeah. and really bring them around sort of the, the table, maybe the Thanksgiving table or the, you know, the holiday table. Absolutely. Um, to have some of these important conversations, yeah. It's a good time to dig into what it means to everybody because, again, that communication tool is, is really the successful marker for how the family will carry on. And this is one yeah. first step in getting that communication mission underway. You had said something too, or you've said a couple of times about the IRS's pie, but I think there's a big emotional quotient tied to that that is discounted. It's it's the headache of leaving the IRS interaction to whomever the legacy or inheritors would be if you don't do the planning. And mm -hmm. they're the ones that see essentially all the hard work and years and years of toil or, or you know, perhaps 
that, that business owner or founder who spent countless hours working and not spending time with their family. And when that time comes that no one wants to think about, all of a sudden they're like, wow, you know, they worked so hard and, and for what? The government's taking it all. Exactly. They, they got to take, you know, what if they got to sell the business to raise the money to pay the 50% of estate taxes, right? And is that what you wanted? Or did you hope that your business was going to be inherited by a child or multiple children or by some of the key employees or maybe a spouse is going to continue running it? You just want to make sure that things are in order so that you can truly pass on that business that you've worked so hard building to the people that you think could inherit it and run it and bring it you know, to the next generation and the next level of, of growth where you think it could go. And so getting that sort of in order now, I mean, it's across the board. I mean, even just having your wills done and your healthcare proxy power attorney, that kind of thing, you know, leaving it until, you know, something terrible has happened is just going to cause a massive headache for those family members left to pick up pieces at a time when it's the most trying times perhaps of their life. A spouse has passed away or you know, a parent has become incapacitated or something like that where you don't want those people who are dealing with their emotional turmoil to also be having to deal with the administrative paperwork and headache of, you know, challenges with the IRS or challenges with, you know, tax returns or whatever it may be. Yeah. And so getting that in order now, even though, yes, it is, it can feel like a bear getting it done now, um, you know, can just put it in place and you can, you can just feel good about knowing it's there. Your assets are going where you want them to go to, you know, they're in the care of you know, the responsible people you've decided they're going to go to. I, I think clients, once they get through the process, they always tell me they sleep a little better at night, mm -hmm. you know, just knowing that that's the case. So I hope that's a nice plug for people to get on, get on board and, and start that. Um, but this has made me also think about kind of a different topic, Dan, which you're probably dealing with because you asked me earlier and made me think of this of, um, you know, what are some things people can do to be thinking about their, you know, year-end sort of income tax minimization strategies. And I'm sure you're dealing a lot with sort of harvesting losses. Mm -hmm. And is this a good time to be harvesting losses? This is the year of lemonade. Gallons <laughs> and gallons and gallons of lemonade. <laughs> yep. Taking lemons and making lemonade, yes people are able to proactively harvest those losses in their portfolios right now. And if you haven't spoken to your accountant or if you don't have a great accountant and you, you don't understand the concept of it, you know, it's, it's a good time to level up and um, maybe find a new professional team to help you out. It's a great time to take those losses in your portfolio. Not saying that the market has bottomed or that there won't be continued volatility because we are expecting continued volatility in the markets, but it sure is a great time to lock those losses in. Yeah, it reminds me of um, a client whose father had given him some Apple stock for his you know, birthday at some you know, as a teenager and every year would shovel some apple stock over. And of course, was, this was back in the 80s. <laughs> and so the, the guy had never, the client had never sold the apple stock because it was you know, a gift from his father who had eventually passed away and it was a little bit sentimental. But then, mm -hmm. of course, what happened to the apple stock, it ballooned and ballooned and ballooned. And so now it was this massive concentration in his investment portfolio. And he was, he was saying, I, I don't ever want to sell this. The taxes are going to be out just wild and I don't want to have to deal with that or pay that but now suddenly we're having a different conversation because his other stocks and you know some of his other uh, you know positions in his portfolio have really declined in value and have cost basis it's below what he, he bought them for and so 
now this is a great time to sort of start selling off some of the Apple stock and realizing some of the, the gains that you can offset with those losses. It's just such a great time to do that. So yeah. we're having a, a better conversation with him than we usually do because we're always trying to push him to think, well, you have a little too much Apple stock in mm-hmm. your overall portfolio. Mm-hmm. And he's like, but I don't know what to do about it. And well, now it's a really good time to be sort of rebalancing, shuffling, if yeah. it makes sense. Yeah, those concentrated stock positions can be really dangerous. And, you know, back to that business owner, you have a lot of C-suite executives who maybe maybe retired and exposed to concentrated stock risk because it is a risk. And there's some interesting things that you can do when you take a laser focus and really start slicing through a portfolio and figuring out how to either offset those gains by strategically using losses in a, in a year that's been as horrible as this year has been. Um, you can also use exchange traded funds, yeah. which is really interesting. That's a longer conversation. And if anybody wants to know more about what that means, feel free to give me a call. But there are exchange traded funds out there that will, um, over a period of time, exchange a basket of stocks for, for your concentrated position. But stocks like Apple sometimes are very, very hard to exchange because everybody wants to get rid of their Apple. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> It's right, right. so one stock that's very difficult to exchange, but they do open windows for it. So that's another thing to keep your eyes open for, and especially when we're going into an environment where you know these FANG stocks aren't going to be as favored and value stocks will be something you want to be positioned in. So a lot of those baskets are more value-oriented as well. So anything else that people should think about? One last question for you. I had a lot of people relocate during COVID. Are there going to be any lingering thoughts around tax and if you relocated to a new state, things that people should be aware of or, or careful with as they're going into the end of the year? Yeah, no, it's, it's such a great question. And, you know, the uh, the income tax authorities in many states have become quite aggressive about this. You know, as, as COVID hit and as inflation has risen and it's harder to, to pull revenue from uh, the citizens of each state, people, they're becoming a little bit more aggressive about finding the revenue and in creative ways, and this is one that it's not a new new position by any means. States love going after people who move, but I think they've beefed up their enforcement capabilities in this way. I mean, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, for example, you know, have very large authorities who go after those who move uh, to a different state and change tax residencies. Uh, and if you didn't properly do it, you haven't properly counted your days, you you haven't really changed your domicile. That's when you know these taxing authorities really have the claim against you. And so, working with your even advisors, your your professional advisors, whether they're tax advisors or your accountants, your your you know, lawyers, on making sure that you've really moved and that you've you've done the necessary things you need to do, like you know just basic things, like making sure you're counting your days if you're coming back into New York or. Even if you're working partly in New York, but partly in New Jersey, you've got to file a New Jersey and a New York return. You, you, you're not going to pay double tax, right? Well, who's going to deduct which state taxes? So these things can become really complicated. And I just make sure that your tax professionals, your accountant, for example, knows um, that you have changed uh, domicile residency to another state, when you made that change, how long you've been in that state, how many days you visited the old state, because those are really going to be the things that matter a lot when, when determining your sort of income tax liability come April of next year. Yeah. I have one last closing question for you. In your opinion, do you have to be a wealthy person to have a team of professionals helping you? Oh, that's such a great question. I don't think so. I mean, it also depends on how you define wealthy. But, uh, you know, I think I get this question a lot when it's, oh, do you think I really need a will? 
Um, you know, I, I don't have you know, millions of dollars. Or do you think I really need to do any planning because I don't have you know, millions of dollars or whatever it may be? Uh, I think it's critically important to have a will. I mean, you already have a will in place, by the way. State law provides for what happens to your assets at your death. And if, you know, in New York, for example, if some will go to a spouse if you have one and the rest will go to your children. If that's not what you want, then maybe you should you should tell them otherwise. And so I think, um, you know, having a, a set of professionals on your side, I, even whether you make, uh, you know, a little bit of money or a ton of money, a tax accountant can often help you save money by finding deductions, determining whether or not you should take the standard deduction or itemize and you know, just some new creative ideas that you may not be thinking of that could still have a meaningful impact on your wallet. And yeah. so I think that, you know, my opinion, I think definitely you should, um, I don't think wealth is necessarily the measure of, of whether or not you should have you know, professional advisors on your team or, you know, that you're in contact with on a semi-regular basis, just making sure you have your ducks in a row. Because there's a lot out there that, you know, we don't know about. And yeah. so, but other people know a lot about. And so getting those people on your team who can sort of, point you in the direction of figuring out what you don't know about yeah. so that you can uh, you know, minimize your taxes or do the right planning or get your family stuff in order. I think it's, a, it's such a great idea, and I think it serves for everyone well. So the listening audience couldn't see you drawing a circle with your hand earlier, and they can't <laughs> see me with my pom-poms shaking vigorously in the air right now. Um, and it is a message that's a little bit of a broken record that, that I say, but pick up the phone and call somebody and have an informational. It's absolutely free. Um, someone like Brad and myself, we work together. Brad is not a practicing attorney. He is not writing contracts. But between the two of us, we could give you a really good list of questions that you can use with other professionals. And we like working with other professionals. It's, I think it kind of mm -hmm. puts the pep in our step, right, to, to talk with other professionals and, and be able to help somebody to help somebody's family uh, to help a business it really i don't know about you but i think it's really special when you can help a mission move forward yeah i mean, I, I agree i mean i think you know you, there's a cynical way to look at my job sometimes as just helping sort of very wealthy people save money in taxes and that's a cynical way but i prefer to think of it as you know finding the passion by just really helping families and that's why I think, you know, you and I both got into this profession is we're just here to, we have a bunch of knowledge that we otherwise wouldn't know what to do with. And it, it happens to be a set of skills that can really help families, like I said earlier, sleep better at night. Yeah. And so I, I hope that's where I sort of find my passion in this role. Let's help people sleep better at night and end the year on a happy, healthy note. So we're going into Thanksgiving and the holidays and Hopefully people will listen to this episode and it will be a gift to them. And I really thank you for your time today. Yep. Happy holidays to everybody. Thanks, Brad. Take care. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.